I got a billion dollar mindset, steady as a flow, navigating all my time spent, letting niggas know. Billion dollar, billion dollar. Hey yo, what is going on? Welcome to the show, Into the Mind. I'm your host, Marlon Johnson, and I'm a parkour athlete turned real estate investor. I spent the last eight years of my life studying mindset of elite performers and applying those lessons to my own life. In my pursuit for success, I've sought out wisdom from mentors who are doing exactly what I want to do in all areas of life. So I've asked that they share their wins and losses with me, and in my search for those answers, this podcast was born. I wanted to share that valuable advice that I was receiving from successful entrepreneurs investors and world-class athletes so thank you all for tuning in this show is for free and my guests do give their precious time to be here so i do ask for something in exchange to show our thanks i ask that the price of admission be you share this if you get any value you go onto your social media you share it with your friends you share it with your family you share it with your co-workers you share it with people in the streets look my goal is to influence 1 million people to invest in themselves and to unlock their own potential and i can't do that alone camera rolling and action awesome what's going on everybody welcome back to another episode of into the mind i'm your host marlon johnson today my guest is zachary keebs and this man is absolutely phenomenal. I love his energy. The last time I was in Arizona, he had me out hiking on the mountains. His energy was contagious. I mean, I have no idea how he does it every day. He is probably one of the largest holders of single family rentals in Arizona. He's a one man army. He has this amazing ability to connect and remember people even after a single meeting and you somehow make everybody feel so incredibly special. I Seriously, we're gonna dive into figuring out how you do that. Zach is the flipping master. He gives out so much value. If you follow him on Instagram, he actually shows his new acquisitions and he will walk through every step about what he's doing, how he picked it up, the numbers, the rehab, everything. So he's an amazing man to follow and today, I'm excited to be able to sit down with him, dive deeply into his story, and learn a little bit more about who he is. So, Zach, welcome to the show. Thank you. I've never had such a good intro in, uh, in all these podcasts and uh, my entire career. This could be my new front man. I'm loving Ooh. this already. It's great to see you. Your energy, same thing. It's very content. So the same thing when I called you after. You're memorable. You're a giving guy, big heart. And so people pick up on that. And you always want to give back and drive into those types of individuals. So I appreciate you as well. Man, I appreciate that. So, Zach, what I want to know is... I've heard other interviews where they've dove into your story, right? But I've never heard anyone dive into young Zach. High school, right? Who was that kid and did he know where he was going? Sure, great question. I think that uh, growing up in an entrepreneurial environment, I was blessed that I was socialized with a dad that worked for himself, set up his own law firm. My grandfathers were entrepreneurs. I've always, you know, at a young age, my dad made me read the Wall Street Journal and I was just engaged by looking at stock ticker symbols. I kind of went to camp and sent the Wall Street Journal up there as a young kid. Everyone's sending their kids candy and whatnot. Here I am in the bunks reading the Wall Street Journal, looking at the ticker symbols each week, you know, and getting that weekly data in terms of what's Nike trading at? What are these stocks? Why does it work this way? I was like, you're a nerd. So you just stay in your own lane, you know, just continue to watch the symbols and, and learn the Wall Street background and um, profitability, entrepreneurship. And, you know, it's... I never wanted to work for anybody. I always knew that I wanted to be autonomous. I'm a very competitive guy when it comes to sports, to anything. Every girl I've ever dated, she goes, why is it, why do you have to be so competitive at everything that you do? I don't know. It's just an innate ability. I always want to be the best at what I'm doing. I always want to give 
100% into everything that you know I'm engaged in, and that's just my mentality. So I think I was blessed to have good parents, good socialization to instill in me that, hey, you want to be the captain of your domain, you got to take control, you got to grab the reins, you got to grab that wheel and push forward. No one's going to do it for you. You're going to work for someone else. They're just controlling your own destiny. Right. So if I remember this correctly too, right? Like, cause you were into the wall street, into the finances and out of college, you were actually getting ready to head to basically wall street to finance. And then your cousins, I believe derailed you and started sending you down the route of real estate. Kind of. You did some good research. I'm impressed. So oh, man, I, uh, I had that. internships on wall street. Uh, that was the time in the dot com era where big uh, individuals and institutions were acquiring other companies via stock transactions. So what happened was, it's in Marlin, I'm gonna buy your company, but I'm not gonna give you cash, I'm gonna give you stock. What I did was create what's called zero cost caller options, um, leveraging um, puts and calls on the Wall Street platform mm -hmm. to protect your risk. So if you got acquired for 100 million, your stock is locked up for six months, called Rule 144, restriction stock. So what happens is, hey, your 100 million could go to 2 million if the stock plummets based on the acquisition company. Conversely, it could go to 400 million. But if you said, Zach, I just want to protect the 100 million I just got acquired for in six months, we can make that happen through calls and puts. No one wants to run the risk. Everyone talks about what's the upside potential. Mm -hmm. No one talks about downside potential. And in, in all my investments and all my different dealings, I care about how much can I lose before I wonder how much can I make on the deal. So it's a completely different mindset that I you know, employ uh, in all my acquisitions. Okay, so essentially you're looking at it more so from the side of like, how do I protect the, protect the seed first? and then we'll figure out how to add on top of that and layer on top of that. Absolutely, I mean, you look at a deal, for example, people in this market are putting up $500,000 and have the potential maybe to make 20. You're not, to, to make 4% of 500,000 is not sexy. People say, I can make $20,000. Yeah, but you could lose 40 or $50,000. People are neglecting the fact that you're putting up a half a million dollars at risk. That's crazy to me. But other people only look and say, but I can make $20,000. Why wouldn't I do the deal? Because they haven't had the exposure. They haven't taken a loss. So it's just not common you know, nature for them to say, oh, I'm, you know, I'm going to forego this $20,000. It doesn't make any sense to me. Conversely, if you say, hey, I can make $200,000 in this $500,000, maybe I can lose ten or fifteen. dollars That's a good risk you know, right. uh, reward ratio. Now, yeah, you're risking the money essentially for a better return. Correct. So finance has basically taught you all of that, and then instead of like really staying in that lane, you came over to real estate, right? So what happened was uh, I had the, the stand on Wall Street. I knew I didn't want to work for a big institutional company. It's like you know these investment bankers they make right. a hundred thousand dollars a year, but you're working twenty two hours a day. You break it down, you're not making that much per hour. That's not a good you know time value investment. Um, and so I was lured first to go down to Atlanta, Georgia to work for a dot-com company. I saw all these people making money. I said, forget about paying me at a very low salary. Maybe they paid me 40, 45,000 out of college, but I was surrounded by Harvard and Warden, all these intellectual guys. I said, just load me up in stock because this is how I'm going to retire. I had a plan, I'll retire at 25 when the stock <laughs> goes public, but it didn't work out as plans, you know, the typical life situation. So in that respect, our, our revenue was derived from our vending machine in the basement. It didn't really take off. And these guys were so sophisticated that our value platform was amazing, but they were talking to you know commodities traders and food, perishable food industry people that didn't understand the internet and email and social media. So we were ahead of, way ahead of our curve, way ahead of the time, uh, and we ended up losing money, but it was a great lesson, right? So then I got attracted to something tangible, not just this you know notion of uh, Wall Street and, and IPOs, but something hardcore, and that's real estate. And, you know, you look at the Forbes magazine, you look at the top, you know, billionaires, 90% of them are connected to one commonality, real estate, passive income. That's where it's at. So that's what it's like. I need to be in the real estate investment field. Okay. So it made sense to you from that point. So you start to 
deviate, you start to pivot, you start to get into the realm of real estate. What's your first transaction looking like? And what was the level of confidence that you had going into it? Were you just all guns blazing or was there a little bit of hesitation? No, and anything new, there's always some hesitation, but I came to Arizona. You got to get uncomfortable to get comfortable. I came mm-hmm. out to a place that was foreign to me. I didn't have family, didn't have friends. Uh, I knew nothing. I came out here. The first thing is I enrolled in real estate school. You got to be educated before you do anything. So I got my license in nine days. I started making calls, rolling up my sleeves. At that time, there wasn't the social media. There wasn't the Facebooks and Instagrams. There wasn't these meetups that they have today. It's a completely different world. The world has transitioned tremendously. It's now more about, we talk about collaboration over competition. You didn't even know who anybody was back in the day because it was such a fragmented marketplace. So that time I was calling out of the newspaper, hey, distressed home on Rover in South Phoenix. I ended up calling these people. I said, I want to meet you. I'm a face-to-face kind of guy. I want to look you in the eye, shake hands. We have thousands of dollars on the table. I want to make sure this is some sort of scam. I walked the property. It was pretty you know, distressed, but it was a low-risk deal. The first thing I bought for $60,000. Obviously, pricing in 2002 is significantly different than where it's at today in 2021. Bought the deal for 60, I think we put in $15,000, and at 75, sold for 100, made 20%. It's like, huh, this is, this is great. I'm liking this, and you go to the next deal. And obviously, you know, every deal you get more confident, you put together the crews, you're understanding construction costs, you get a better economies of scale. It just takes, you know, one deal at a time, and, and there's a learning curve. So I was confident in the price that we were buying because we talk about the downside risk of that deal. If we didn't have the ability to flip it at the time for 100000 what was the rental market on it? What's the downside risk? If the market shifted for whatever reason and the house you know, was stagnant, how much can I get for rent? Maybe $1,000. That's still a good yield. Yeah. So you always want to look at every single opportunity from, hey, what happens if I flip it? What happens if I sell it? What's the contingency plan if everything goes to shit? You know, when I get on the plane, I'm the first guy looking for the exit, and where's my parachute? Most people, they want the leg room. I want to be close to the exit. I want to be next to some old lady that I can push out of the way to make sure I'm off the plane. I'm kidding about the old ladies. But the point is, I always want to know, what's my safety net? What's the worst case scenario? Right. All right. So I like that because a lot of folks, I don't think, think about that, right? Figuring out, yeah, how does the upside work? Is it going to be great if everything works out perfectly? But you're also considering worst case scenario, does the deal still work for me? Can I still salvage a deal right. in the worst case scenario? If those boxes are checked, then you jump into a deal and that's allowed you to grow. So fast forward from the first deal to now, where if I remember correctly, you're doing something about maybe eight deals per month, somewhere in that ballpark, right? And you're running a lot of this almost as a solo team. Am I correct? Correct. I'm a solopreneur. I mean, I have crews that work for me. I'm I'm not doing the construction. I wish I knew how. That's not my skill set. My (laughs) skill set is building long-term amazing strategic relationships, creating win-win situations with the people I do business with, making sure that everybody wins in every transaction. I will not do a deal if there's a loser. My deals are not zero-sum games. They're win-win situations. And that's why people want to continue to do business with me because everybody will always come out ahead. So that's interesting, right? Because how are you essentially running such a scaled business? Because in most people's eyes, your business is pretty scaled, doing eight plus deals a month, managing over 200 rental property as a one-man team. What sort of system is actually in place that is, I would ask, duplicatable? Like, is it duplicatable or is it really, you know, just coming down to almost like you? Because I I think there's definitely something special about you. Whether you'll ever admit it or not, there's absolutely something special about you. But that system, is there one in place? Is there like something that you strategically said, boom, this is how we're going to make it work? Sure. This is a great point. So in the beginning, I was running uh, all the numbers on Excel. You know, taking receipts, 
plug them in at night, come home deep, but literally, I'm an old school, simple guy, I'm kind of tech adverse, people know that I'm terrible on the Instagrams, I'm terrible on, you know, I'm getting used to, I got a social media team that helps with that stuff, but I'm a simple guy, I can tell you right here, right now, this is the secret to my business. Well, shoot. Here it is, the telephone, folks. It's a very <laughs> simple tool, I got my calendar on there, I know all my properties, I mean, we have QuickBooks, and I outsource the accounting now, which is good, I want to free up my time, because um, your best time is spent on the acquisitions. Everything else follows the acquisitions. We know if you buy it right, everything else will fall into place. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's transitioned since I've delegated certain tasks that would take me time that get in the way of my ability to acquire more properties. But also, I got to give credit to the people that uh, are on my team um, that work with me. I don't have any full-time employees, but they're 1099 contractors, from the contractors to my bookkeeper to my tax consultant. You know, everyone has a good synergy, good energy. It's like, I want to work with people that share that common goal. We have a good time, we have fun. That's the basis of everything. And so I can delegate and not worry about some of those tasks, even the construction projects. I'm not there every single day. We show up once, we talk about it, we walk, we make the decisions one time around. I show up every Friday to pay the guys and I move forward focusing my time on the acquisitions. I like that. And to your point, as far as synergy, I remember you, I was surprised one day I was watching your Instagram live and I was seeing that you were speaking to your contractors in Spanish. And I was like, Zach, you speak Spanish? And you're like, yeah, man, like what better way to communicate with like my guys and get to know them. And I was just like, that's amazing. Cause you're not just telling them the work that needs to be done, but you're also communicating to them about their families and about their friends and what's going on in their life. And ultimately it makes sense why these guys would want to ride out with you and you are able to build these teams of synergy. Sure. So something I found amazing was your overhead for lead generation is somewhere around zero. zero. That's correct. And that's phenomenal. So can you talk about that? How are you keeping lead gen down to zero and doing somewhere around the scale you're doing right now? It's a great point. I like to um, use the parallel to fishing to a certain degree. So you're in a village, you got a lot of fishermen going out there. It's important to be very precise when you talk about what your buy box is in, in, in acquisitions, there's a buy box, right? I like to buy people say, what do you do? And very quickly, let's say, I'm a single family buyer. I wanna buy things within a hundred mile radius of Phoenix, uh, three two preferably, I'll do four twos and five twos. I'll even do some townhomes if the market slows. Um, and that's my core buy box. If you have anything in that notion, you come to me. So I tell the fishermen, hey, when you come back at the docks, I want salmon, I want tuna, I don't want the catfish, maybe I'll do some lobster today. And they're gonna know, hey, Zach's a good buyer, he treats me well, he's gonna pay me a fair price, his money is good. They come out to the docks, they do all the hard work, I'm happy to eat, but I wanna make sure that they eat too, and I'm happy to help sell the stuff that I don't want. So you become a value add to those individuals, but most importantly, by executing, by being a guarantee, by communicating, by getting to know somebody deeply. It's not just a transaction, it's not dollars and cents. Mm -hmm. I know about your background in parkour. I know about the energy in your coaching background and the kids and the influence you have. Here we have a, a live audience over here. I know about you know learning about the background of everybody. That is important to me. This is not about finance background or Wall Street or options or all these complicated things. This business comes down to one thing, relationships. Getting to know somebody, having mutual respect, being a giver, not that leech mentality. How can you help enhance their lives when they can enhance your lives and you have a mutual symbiotic relationship? It is a relationship-based business. And it's here, people think solely about transactions, it's about the longevity of these relationships. How can we do business forever and have a great time doing it? I love that about you. Like seriously, because that was something that, again, it stood out about you from the very first meeting, from the very first interaction. Seeing how you were able to meet, even just like myself, the first time you met me, I think we spoke again months down the road and you somehow were able to recall almost everything we spoke about. And I got curious, I was like, I wonder, is that skill that you have, because I consider it a skill, 
is that something that was naturally ingrained or was that something that you developed over time so that you could cultivate better relationships? I think it's naturally ingrained. I think so many people want to speak first and listen later. I'm the type of guy I ask questions. I listen. When I'm on a job site, my guys are there. I think everybody, I always take the mindset everyone's smarter than me. Hey, my contractors, they're in the house. They're in no construction far greater than myself. I say, if this was your money, it's a great question when you're on a job site with your contractors. Hey, Jose, um, here, here's $30,000 to work this house. This is your house. What do you do with it? For me telling him what to do, he's going to come up with, we had the same situation the other day. I had a laundry room and a kitchen. Didn't make sense. No one wants the laundry room and the kitchen. He came up with this amazing idea. We closed off the master bathroom. We shifted out the porch a little bit, created this autonomous room. If you give somebody the autonomy and the ability to be a superstar, they're going to get there. I like that because you truly do. You treat people like equals, right? And that's when you took everyone out hiking on Sundays. So for those of you guys that don't know, Zach would take folks out hiking on Sundays. Not doing it right now because he doesn't want to kill anyone in the heat. But when you took everyone out and I asked you, hey, what's the deal with this? You know, there's a lot of people that come out. Why do you do this? He explained, well, I take them out hiking. And on the first round, because you do it twice, the first round is a nice casual walk. You said this is a great way to get to learn people, get to know who they are. And also, it takes everyone out of the environment that they're used to being in. So now everyone can show each other who they truly are. And you said, based off of this, you like working with people. You said, I want to know who's a good person to work with. I want to know who I can build with, who I can have stick around for years to come. And this is how I get to do that. So I really liked seeing that you did that. And when you did it, it wasn't like, Zach's out here above everyone trying to filter and pick. It was, no, Zach is here with everyone. Everybody like felt like an equal. So you do an amazing job at just that. So with this now, on those hikes, you were saying something very key to you, that your health is your wealth. I mean, like, when I hear those words, I hear your voice saying them. Where does that come from? That's a great point. I can talk about this at this event coming up as well. So many people factor... You know, oh, I got to make all this money. They're grinding, 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 but with the realizing they're putting themselves in a bad, you know, uh, physical and mental condition. At the end of the day, all you have is your health. Money and material things, they come and go, just like life. But if you can control one thing, control your, control your health, control your physicality. I can tell you my dad's battled cancer multiple times. I can tell you that, you know, by being present and listening to people. One day I'm on a job site and uh, he calls me up in the middle of the day. And that's when I care more about money than I did about health. And I mean, mm-hmm. this was the trigger. He says, hey, uh, he calls literally it's 1 o'clock in the afternoon. I have a roofer to my left. I'm looking at the property. Yeah, Dad. He says, hey, do you have a few seconds or a few minutes? I said, I'm busy, but hurry up. I tell him to hurry up. And so, you know, because normally we talk at night. Right. I'm doing stuff. Yeah. I've got to make that money, right? That's what's important in your mind. He says, well, I just want to let you know I just got diagnosed with cancer. Then my heart sinks to my stomach, and I think I'm the biggest piece of shit ever because it gives perspective and clarity in your life. So then I said at that moment, I would give away all my houses, all my wealth. I'll go to dead broke to cure my dad. Literally, I said, God, take everything I own. I could care less because it's meaningless. When your health is on the line, what's the first thing you give up? You give up everything you have because you can rebuild. If you have your health, you can do anything you want in the entire world. So health is the number one thing. That is the platform. That is the foundation of any success. Not to mention by keeping yourself in good physical condition, you have good positive energy, you have good mental mindset, you're bringing that positivity to every environment, you can deflect stressful situations and hardships much better. So I set the tone every single day. I didn't watch my dad work his ass off to, you know, create himself and our family a nice lifestyle for the family, but to only struggle because he's neglected his health. I don't want to be like that. I want to, you know, 
um, spread the message that your health is your wealth. It truly is. Any rich person in the world will give up everything to cure their health. Think about that. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's this is the first place we live. If this is gone, everything else doesn't matter. And you also said something, and I love this, right? Because I totally agree with you. Your health is your wealth. And I've seen people that have made it, and then they try and trade it all to get their health back, to try and get their time back, to try and get their youth back. And they just, it can't, they can't. It, yeah, it's too late. Sometimes. They, they lost most of it. So luckily, you had a nice wake-up call early on, it sounds like. You also say this, and it's one of my favorite things. Your energy enters the room before you ever do. And when you said that to me the first time, I was like, Wow. This guy, like, first off, he gets it, and two, you live it. So can you break that down to people? What do you mean when you say that your energy enters the room before you ever do? People can feel it. It's like, you know, we have the experience, same thing with you. People pick up on the energy. It's the personality. It's reputation. In this business, you screw one person, you're done. It's a small world out there. Again, with the social media now, with these meetup groups, it's becoming a much more intimate environment. So if you're treating people well, if you're elevating them, if you're helping people, if you're leading with value, it goes, you know, it, it comes back in dividends tenfold. I also believe in karma, right? If you're doing good things, charitable work, helping them. When no one's looking, how do you? How are you acting, right? Mm -hmm. That's a huge tell. So if you're always acting above board and you got a guy, Corey, who's always looking to get back, he's got a house with a bunch of books and different charitable donations. That type of energy just pays massive. It's just good karma. So if you're treating people well, you're authentic, you're transparent, it just gets disseminated into the universe. It's just the law of the energy. I agree with you. You know, essentially it's that go-giver energy. And it's funny, as I stepped into this world and as I started to find new people and new friends and new connections, my thought process of what I used to believe success was began to change. I began to meet people that were highly successful. And what I found were they were not go-getters, more so they were go-givers. And that. it was just across the board. You're one of them. Pace Morby is one of them. Like all these individuals were just constantly in a place where they were pushing it out and more seemed to be coming back to them. Let me ask, is that something that you discovered on your own? Was that something you were taught? Because I know for myself, it was something that I always hinted. I thought I like, mm, this felt intuitionally. My intuition was telling me it was right. Mm -hmm. Society was telling me it was wrong. And later on, I found in some books that confirmed it is right, it's safe. So for yourself, when did it click? that this is a more appropriate way to live. By giving back, by giving that, that mentality. Right. I think when you achieve a certain level of success, especially as a solopreneur, it's, uh, it's, kind, of a, it's kind of a sad journey in the sense that you're not sharing anything. Mm -hmm. If I died tomorrow and I made a bunch of money, nobody cares, I never made an impact on the world. So my, my, my ability, what I'd like in terms of legacy, is to help change the trajectory of as many people as possible financially, mentally, physically, whatever it may be, in a positive way. So I realized that the true impact of success is not how much money you make, how much can you help other people in this world. I like that. Because again, I talk about this, I'm doing a lot more joint venture. Because hey, let's use this example. I sell a deal, I make 50 grand, it's amazing. You know what changes? The number in my bank account. But no one else is impacted by that. If I could take someone that's never done a deal with other people that are scared to do a fix and flip and maximize the deal, if they're gonna make 10 on a wholesale, but we joint venture and make 50 together and we split it 50-50, for example, not only can that money help impact their, their family, they learn how to do it. It's the whole fishing mentality. Teach you how to fish, you go out and you can support your family. Ultimately, you know, additionally, if we can go out and celebrate that success and, and again, get to know your, bring out your family, let's go for a nice meal. 
I love doing that. If I do a, you know, a deal, I go home and I eat my prepared food and I go to bed, no big deal. It's kind of a, a you know, private, secluded journey. But if you incorporate other people and you can touch other people along the way, that's the highest level of gratification. And, you know, um, that's where that mentality comes from. So once you see, achieve a certain level of success, it's somewhat of a lonely road unless you're sharing that or giving back to other people. You know, it's really ironic that you say that too because earlier today, Dustin and I were listening to something and it said along the lines of, can individuals be happy, right, if they were broke or if they didn't have wealth? And we came to say, like, how do you define wealth, right? And we defined it more so not as money in the bank, but more so resources in order to give to the people that come to you in your tribe and in your community. If you have the resource to provide to them when they come to you, that's where you'll find the happiness. And that's what, in our opinion, true wealth was. I agree 100%. Wealth is not measured in monetary means. It's measured in, in happiness, engaging other people, the gratification, the health, uh, the education. I can look at a million different people. And you can, there's a whole documentary, I believe, on happiness. And you find these people in the village that are dead poor. The guy's the happiest guy ever. He's, you know, takes care of his family. He spends quality time with them. Imagine you're the father of some family. All you're doing is chasing the money. You're not watching your kids' games. You're spending quality time. It's all relative, you know? I still value the person who's a teacher who's making $30,000 a year, probably more successful or happier potentially than I. It's yeah. an interesting phenomenon. Uh, you know, and I'm happy to hear you say that, right? Because it's always important in my world to... Get information from as much of a source, right? You know, and you're someone that has achieved great things. You've achieved financial freedom, I would say, and you're gotten to a point where a lot of people would aspire to be. So it's nice that they can hear it from you that this is truly like, hey, been to the top of the mountain, still, and you know, money doesn't necessarily matter in the way you think unless you're able to look at it from a point of view of how can I use it to benefit other people's lives, and in which case. You don't need to wait to be at the top of the mountain to start that journey. Time a thousand percent. I'll tell you a great story. I'm sitting in my house. My pest control guy comes over. He's looking out. He goes, man, I could have worked harder. I should have built my own pest control company. I, you know, I've always aspired to live in a home or whatever it is like this. I said, let me pose a question to you. James, he says, what's that? I said, are you married? He said, yeah. He said, do you have any kids? He says, I got two. I even have a grandkid. He starts, you know, beaming. I said, are they all healthy? Oh, yeah, they're, they're doing great. Grandkids in school. He's a great baseball player. Cool. Do you have a good marriage? I love my wife. I said, I'll tell you what, James. I will trade my house to have an amazing marriage, healthy kids, and grandkids in 30 seconds. He said, are you crazy? I said, you're neglecting what you have. You have an amazing foundation. You're happy. You don't even realize what you have. I, I haven't found my dream girl yet. I don't have any kids. I aspire to have kids. So many people in 30 seconds would trade positions with someone. They don't even realize how, what a fulfilling life that they have. They're just thinking that this guy's much happier because he got some fancy material things that can come and go in 30 seconds. And he was just dumbfounded. Why? <laughs> I think he had tears dripping out his eyes. It's like, thank you for putting that in perspective. I said, I'm just being real with you, man. If I can right. tell you, you know, you know, I want to find my, you know, wife forever. My parents have married 50 years, you know. So it's like, don't think that because someone drives a fancier car, lives in a better view, whatever it is, that they're happier than you. It means nothing. Trust me, most people trade positions with you, you know, 90% of the time. You know, you're absolutely right. And it's cool to hear you say that, right? Because it puts it into perspective. Right. And also, I'm going to let you know, I'm going to be manifesting like a beautiful wife for you, man. Because you deserve like an amazing woman because you're an awesome dude. Like you're seriously one of the most genuine people I think I have ever met. There are a few people that when you meet them, they just stick in your mind from day one. You're absolutely one of them. So I really appreciate that about you. I'm going to keep this guy around for a while. Can you <laughs> that this guy's making me? He's still in my cup. I might be back in winter. Great. But check this out. So along the journey, 
right? It wasn't all amazing moments and everything didn't always work out. You know, being an entrepreneur is basically putting out fires all the time. What's one of the, I guess I don't want to call it biggest mistakes, but what was one of the toughest challenges that you encountered along the road that you can think of? Great question. Um, so just like in any journey, there's, there's trials and tribulations, up and down, volatility, we call it the stock market. We've had a crash in our market that was a difficult to navigate because you haven't been there. Now I've navigated through turbulent waters, if you will. But I had a great success from 2002 to 2007. I took a lot of that capital, 98% of my net worth, and I reinvested into another real estate um, opportunity in the Midwest that was controlled by people that I knew very well. And that opportunity went south. And I lost all of that money, literally all. So wow. here I am, I've achieved some great success. Young kid, what I perceive to be amazing. I bought a fancy, you know, SL500 design new car. My friends think I'm this drug dealer. I'm rocking and rolling, living in a nice, built my first house. Things are going great. And I was getting a dividend of 10% on this money. So I'm like, okay, you know, I'm pretty good for the rest of my life. If everything hits the fan, I got my 10% guarantee. What you learn is there's no guarantee. You need diversification. Going back to controlling your own destiny, I outsourced that money because I was so confident and had so much respect for this opportunity that nothing could go wrong. And of course, it went wrong. I lost it all. And so that gave me a solid foundation to say, hey, I have my health. That's number one. I continued to work out. I stayed mentally calm. I pivoted. We talk about contingency planning. You know, if you don't think you can go away, it can happen. You get this great stock and a Bitcoin or whatever it may be, and it's going to the moon and it goes to zero. It can happen. It was a big reality check. But having had that experience and hitting the bottom floor after achieving great success, I knew that, and with encouragement and surrounding myself with good people, I have a very good friend, Isaac Scheibel, and good friends, Ron, and other people that said, hey, you're amazing at what you do. Keep doing what you're going to do, and positive things are going to come. So A, surround yourself with good people that are going to elevate you in times of distress. Stay the course. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Wealth doesn't happen overnight. You stay with the plan and you keep moving forward, you're good. You treat people well and you're transparent in your, your investments. And uh, I pivoted. I, I rented out my house to Coyotes player. Uh, I, I got down to where my overhead was virtually nothing. I sold that Mercedes, that $120,000 car, at the bottom of the market, the real estate market. I sold it for $21,000. I took that $21,000 and when our market imploded, I took the 21 and I bought a single family home with it. I think I paid $25,000 for a house on Mitchell. Fast forward a couple years ago, I sold that house for probably $250,000. So amazing, hindsight's 2020, so great move. Yeah. At the time, you're like, you idiot, you're not now, you might get rid of the Mercedes, you're living in a, a rental property. I mean, I really got down to virtually you know, $1,000 a month in overhead from probably $20,000 a month because you need to adapt to lifestyle. Don't be an idiot and continue to expend money and, and purge money when the market's not supporting that. So I, was, I felt that, okay, um, I can recover from this. And incrementally, I did the right thing. I had my license, I was representing people on short sales and finding ancillary uh, means of opportunities. At the same time, I saw the market shift and I went out and I raised capital in one home at a time, one step forward each single day, things progressed. And when you treat people well, your reputation, that energy is, again, it's contagious. It gets permeated out there. All right, All right so guys, we just got cut off. Sorry about that, but we are back into it. So you were just letting us know how essentially you were at the place where you were down to everything, sold the Mercedes, you had 20 grand left. You went right back to a single family and you were rebuilding step by step. Sure. So it's important to surround yourself with good people. If you look at your, again, your network is your net worth. If you have good supportive friends, you want to make sure you don't have any of those toxic people. If you're going out there doing good things and people are jealous or trying to pull you down, make sure that you uh, purge them. 
you know, mm-hmm. from, from your friendships. Surround yourself with people if you're going to go mountain climbing. They're going to be there to help, you know, belay you off the mountain and, and catch them. And the same thing, you want to reciprocate those sentiments to those people. So make sure you have good people that are going to help you in your lowest and there to support your wins as well. Um, so yeah, so I sold my vehicle. I was getting lean and mean. You need to adapt and pivot in, in hardship, you know, in difficult times. And I uh, had that liquidity. And as the market imploded, hey, there's nowhere left to go. But, uh, you know, reinvestment and, and stay, keep a good solid mindset, physically, mentally, etc. So I continued the workouts, stay mentally strong with your encouragement, started rebuilding one home at a time. Um, the notion is, oh, statue of frauds, get everything in writing. I made a poor investment. It was more of a handshake deal for a seven-figure mm-hmm. investment. And that is not a healthy way of doing anything. So whenever you're going to do something, whether it's family, friends, whomever, protect yourself. That was a good lesson to be learned. So, and also don't put all your eggs in one basket <laughs> thinking, hey, I'm getting a 10% return. This is great. I'm just going to put it all over here because there's no such thing as a guarantee. Things right. we know in life happen. So make sure you have all the documentation. But the good thing was having gone through that negative experience and I go out there to raise capital, I raise a $25 million distress asset fund. When I'm meeting with other investors, I parlayed the fact that this is what happened to me. I'm not going to let this happen to you. There's always a lesson learned um, from every situation, educational experience. I said, here, I'm giving a first to the trust. Um, you know, we can be joint ventures on title. There's a million different situations we could do to mitigate the downside risk for asset protection for you based on what transpired with me. I'm not going to, again, allow that to happen. And that was a great learning lesson. People felt the empathy and, and uh, transparency of what transpired and uh, just was blessed to get amazing investors and OPM, it's called all the people's money, mm-hmm. to rebuild um, in the market. Warren Buffett says, when people are fearful, be greedy. When people are greedy, be fearful. And there was a lot of fear in the market. And somebody that was a captain before, which I was, knew the market intimately, looked at the yields and returns at this distressed level, and they were massive. And, you know, people say, you know, if we can go back to this time again, I will. I loaded up as much as I could. Say, if you go over and do it more, I put more money in. But it was impossible to really deploy any more money that I did, especially as a solopreneur. So um, everything happens for a reason, and, and you kind of have to just ride the roller coaster, stay the course, treating people well, keep a positive mindset, and you know, one step forward every single day, and keep moving forward, get out of neutral and reverse. Wow. So I mean, I love that, right? Because your biggest challenge, essentially, right, taught you so many valuable lessons. And it sounds like if I'm mistaken, like if I'm not mistaken, this became one of your greatest assets because it put you in a situation where you can now talk to your investors and let them know I want to provide you security because I was hurt so badly. So I know what I would have wanted in hindsight, how I could have protected myself. So now I can protect you, which is absolutely amazing because you're also using your vulnerability to essentially come back to them. And I like that you said you rebuilt one step at a time. You just got back into the game. You figured it out and you just kept going. You didn't say, well, I used to be here. You just said, well, this is where I am today. Let me change my mindset. Let me change my lifestyle. I'm not going to allow the old lifestyle creep that got me here to affect what I'm doing today. I'm, this is where I am today. And it almost sounds like the biggest challenge. If I had to take it all in you know, one phrase or one word, you were driving the ship, right? You had your hands on the steering wheel. And at some point, you let go. You said, yo, I'm good. I, I've made it. And that was the mistake. At some point, you felt that it was safe enough or comfortable enough to just let go, put life on autopilot. And it sounds like that's never actually a viable option to ever really just put life on autopilot and sit back and say, I'm done. I never felt that I was done, but I, I took my hands off the wheel for too long. Mm. In essence, I felt somewhat complacent in terms okay. of where we were at, but that's a great point. 
Um, I still was moving forward buying deals. I couldn't control the market. You can only control what's controllable and you have to let go of the other stuff. But I was in control at the time. I just made a poor investment. I didn't protect myself. Great lesson learned. You said a great word before, which is vulnerability. And I love that word because what I've learned through relationships and buying uh, direct assets from sellers before, from wholesalers, by sharing the story, by opening up, I, again, uh, the house that we're in right now, the, the lady had cancer and you know the, the son. And when you open up and share your personal life stories right there, people want to do business with you. When you remove those layers of the onion, you have a deeper level of connection and that transparency and that connection and good things happen through that. So never be afraid to be vulnerable and people you're working with because either people will embrace it and if they deflect you or they don't want to work with you, it's, you're in the wrong company anyways. You're not going to do, do business with everybody out there. I've had a lot of situations where there's that bad energy or you know someone tells you, here's the price and you get out there and they retrade. And you're like, listen, I don't need to buy this house. I don't need you. You know, to play games, my, my time is too valuable. I know your time is valuable as well. So you want to pick and choose. So if you're vulnerable with someone and they don't embrace or respect that, you know that they're going to be a wrong business, you know, um, partner or synergistic, you know, opportunity. Right. And so I like that you're saying this because this is one of the questions I had for you. And I was really, I'm really curious to know your answer. Mm -hmm. So you spoke about essentially putting yourself around the right people, right? And this is something we spoke about when we went hiking. This is something you're speaking about right now. So I want you to imagine a hypothetical situation where you are placed into, let's say, a village or a town, and everybody there is, let's say, neutral energy, right? Their energy is very neutral. No one's aggressively after you. No one's aggressively building. Everyone is just kind of in their own world, but neutrally there. Would you, yourself, knowing who you are, because your energy is special, man, like, I seriously mean that, would you stay in this town and try to amplify the energy of others, or would you pick yourself up and go out knowing that there are places like this and go and seek out those higher frequency individuals and surround yourself with them? I mean, that's a great question. Do I have family and other people there? I'm just a solo person, it's just me. Let's say if there's family and other people there, I'm gonna try and vibe and increase those energy frequencies because I care about my family. I wanna look at the macro perspective. If it's just me and I have the ability to be nomadic and, and go and, and change a different environment, then I'm going to go find like energy. It's like a stagnant relationship. You know, so you're not feeling that magnetism. Try and get into a new relationship. I'm not a complacent person. I want to find that vibe. I'm going to be attracted to find, you know, good energy and that positivity because that energy is contagious, right? For both, for everybody. Right. No, I agree with you. So you would essentially seek out that vibe unless there was something almost like as an anchor holding you in one location. In which case, you wouldn't settle to their vibe. You would try and raise Elevate. that vibe up to create that energy, to create that elevation like for everybody. Mm -hmm. So I, I love that, man. Because I believe that at the end of the day, everybody has unique attributes. I'm a firm mm -hmm. believer. Everyone has special assets and intellect and different you know, um, unique abilities that bring to the table. Sometimes they just need their fire lit. And if you can be the fire starter to create that magnetism and that energy – then leverage that, then start the fire, start, you know, lighting up the flames around and see what transpires. But I'm not one to just kind of sit there and say, oh, there's no energy here. Let's illuminate this place. Let's light this shit on fire and see what happens. Then if it doesn't take blaze, then guess what? Go find a new fire to fight. See, and I think a lot of people need to hear that. That's why I'm happy you're saying that because I think there are people that are sitting in their particular towns or their areas, wherever they are, and they feel like everyone around them needs to get up and mm -hmm. get that fire going and they're trying and it's not quite working to recognize that, look, if you're really trying to light this fire and you're trying your all and nothing's catching, maybe you're in the wrong place. Maybe get up, 
go and maybe come back when you're a stronger fire starter. Sure. Right. But right now it's not working. So stop banging your head against the wall and move on. Do you know the number one addiction in the United States of America? Oh, shoot. And it's not a white powder. <laughs> it's not sugar. It ain't cocaine. I'm going to say it has something to do with people, something to do mm-hmm. with attention. It's comfort. comfort. The number one addiction mm. in America and, and probably you know internationally is right. comfort. So many people are addicted to comfort. No one wants to get outside their comfort zone. Again, we said in the beginning, you got to get uncomfortable to get comfortable. Sometimes people need that little push. I'm sure when you're part four, people are afraid to do that front flip or the mm-hmm. back flip or jump over this obstacle. But if you're there as a support and as a mentor to encourage and promote that, don't you feel that that stagnancy of energy and then you come in and illuminate them to take that leap of faith, knowing that you're going to have a map there, teaching them proper methodology you can create that positive energy. They were stagnant. They were kind of, they were comfortable. You get them outside that comfort zone. You get a certain level of discomfort. They hit this flip or doing their parkour, you know, amazing uh, trajectory <laughs> wherever they go. And all of a sudden they're like, this is amazing. You see the smile on their face, the gratification. So you just took a neutral frequency. You lit it and watch what happened. So I believe that everybody has that ability. Some people just need that push. Mm, I like that. I like that a lot because it gives everyone an opportunity to unlock their potential. And you did that. I saw you do that a lot because you were coaching people a lot. Last year when I was here in Arizona, I was watching you coach your students. And just even like Scott, Scott, Scott Garcia, you know, like I know he was one of your students. And he's done amazing things with flipping properties. And you helped to ignite, right, to just shine a light for him and give him a path. And it's amazing, right? Because without that, it could have taken him much longer if he ever didn't find the light, right? If he ever didn't find the path. So I love that big time. So I want to respect your time. I got two more questions for you. My favorite questions to ask people. You kind of answered this one when the camera was off for a okay. little bit, but I am a big reader. I know you don't like, or I heard you say you like not necessarily have the time to sit down and read. However, I imagine you still listen to either audiobooks or even if not audiobooks, people whose words of wisdom have influenced you. So what would you say are either two quotes, books, or things that you've heard that have been such paradigm shifts that after you heard them, you never were quite the same again, right? It stretched your mind in a way that it never quite went back to being the same. I have no pressure. <laughs> I'm not a big reader. Everyone knows that I'm a massive action taker. Imperfect action is better than no action. Um, my dad laughs at me. He thinks I'm, you know, the wealthiest, uh, you know, um, uh, when you can't read, they call you what? Oh, um, I should know this word. Uh, illiterate. Thank you. See, that's how dumb I am. I'm, <laughs> I'm the wealthiest illiterate guy he's ever met. I think I've read the Isaiah Thomas story 20 times as a kid. You know, the famous <laughs> basketball player. No, I'm, I've read a few books. Um, I'm a huge fan of uh, Peter Lynch's investment strategies, Warren Buffett. Always been an idol of mine. Such a simple, humble guy. Um, driving the same car for 20 years. I've driven a Prius, you know, for 13 years. Drive that thing into the ground. Because I don't care about material things. I really don't. I'm not a bougie person. Um, Warren Buffett says, you know, he won't invest in things if he doesn't understand. Very simplistic mindset. Uh, people say, Zach, why don't you get into commercial? Why don't you do Airbnbs? Why don't you do you know, all these other things. I don't understand. That's not my core competency. I want to be an expert at one thing and crush that. I never want to be diverted to what everyone else is doing. I think there's an abundance of opportunity for everybody to do great. And that's the reality. So people say, why do you coach and encourage all these people? They're just going to cannibalize your business. No one's cannibalizing relationships. There's always the next deal. And there's, a, again, an abundance for everybody to do well. That's why Pace and all these people continue to push and promote these programs. Because anyone who wants to make money is going to put 
the time and energy into it is going to succeed. Um, and then in terms, there's a book called Who Moved My Cheese. It's a very simple book. That's I like really it. It's a really good book. It's a good book. It's a very simple message. It's got big font for literate <laughs> people like myself. It takes me, you know, a couple of days to read. Most people probably about two hours. But I like the simplicity in the message. And I think a lot of that is very impactful with what may potentially happen in our market right now. You know, when you least expect things and they happen, how do you respond to somebody? If every single day you're the mouse going to the same area to eat the cheese, and all of a sudden somebody moves it in the maze, how do you respond? You can put your head down, you can keep moving forward, you know, and, and hunting out and finding that cheese. Maybe you're going to find a bigger piece of cheese. But most people, they stop and say, where's my cheese? Is someone going to bring it to me? So it's how do you adapt and pivot mentally, physically, emotionally, you know, to situations that um, are sometimes out of your control. And so that response is critical. So the message is very, you know, simple. And same thing, it's about greed. Peter Lynch, he's a very simple guy. He, again, he says, I don't need to buy at the bottom um, or sell at the top as long as I get a big chunk in the middle. You want to take greed out of all your strategies. If I can make good money on something, I'm not trying to squeeze every penny out of every deal. There's no telling what's going to happen tomorrow. There could be another delta of COVID. There could be so many different factors that you're not going to go broke taking a small profit today or a good profit today. I see so many people trying to get greedy. There's a market shift and they've lost everything. Or they go from one thing, they had great success in single family, and they go into some multifamily into a deal that's way too big for their britches or they're over levered. Mm -hmm. And it's one small shift, they wipe it out. So again, it goes back to how much risk are you willing to take? How about protecting the assets that you've already worked so hard to build up and not trying to swing for these home runs and be content with these solid singles, bonds, maybe get a double. You know, so again, the downside risk factor, what transpires if one thing goes bad or 10 things go bad, if you cover those bases, you're preparing yourself for success. When preparation meets opportunity, success prevails. I love it. I absolutely love it, man. So Zach, this is my favorite question of all time, and I'm super curious to hear your answer. Let's imagine now tomorrow morning you wake up and when you wake up, you are a blank slate. You don't remember anything. You don't remember any of the lessons you've learned. You don't remember any of the losses. You don't remember any of the relationships. Somehow you forget the relationships. You forget everybody's name, all their faces, everything. However, you know you're safe, right? It's not like a horror movie. You're not freaking out. You know you're in a safe environment. And as you start to come to consciousness, you begin to have a thought. And the thought that comes into your mind, you accept it as truth. You don't question it. You don't doubt it. You don't second guess it. You just take it. You work with it. You run with it. And that begins the beginning of the rest of your new life, the new foundation. What would you want that first, very first thought to be? My first thought is, do I have, is my body intact and do I have my health? Because we spoke about the beginning of this, you know, podcast. What's the most important principle? Well, to me, it's family and, 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 and uh, health and, and love. Uh, family to me is the number one thing in health, obviously. So, hey, am I physically bodied? Am I physically able to move forward? Because if I have that, I can achieve anything. I have the mindset literally every day that I wake up and my bank account is zero. I am hungry every single day. Yesterday's yesterday's news. It doesn't matter. I pretend I'm dead broke. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to hunt for that piece of cheese no matter where it's at. I'm not going to stop until I get it. So I know my mindset regardless. That's an innate ability. As long as I have my health, I have my wealth. I'm gratified, I'm grateful for that, and I'm gonna move forward on that day. It's important to recognize that staple, that fundamental principle comes back to health. So take care of yourself. You know, everything else will come. Treating people well, these relationships will be rebuilt again. But if you have your health, you have your wealth. I love that. It's true, right? When you do start to take care of yourself, 
you are putting yourself in a position to take care of others, to show up to others, the best version of yourself. And it's almost ironic, right? It's almost like you have to be a little bit selfish to be selfless, right? Because if you are in the ocean sinking with them, right? If you're in a position where you're in need of help, you're not in a position where you can then help the other person. So I absolutely love that. So Zach, for people that are now very interested in you, they're very curious, they're like, who is this handsome man that Marlon's been talking to this whole time? And Mrs. Wright, how is she going to reach out to you? Where should people go to find you? Before we get into that, there's one message <laughs> I still want to deliver, and I appreciate the promotion. Uh, I just want to promote the fact that how important passive income is. I see a lot of people in this business that watch these that are wholesalers and you know, um, they're just constantly moving the inventory, but it's really important to focus on how your money can work for you through the passive income aspect. And so what that looks like is if you're a wholesaler and you can find a deal and analyze it and you feel like, hey, you can either buy it in cash, you can qualify for it, you can get some OPM for it. I want you to take the leap of faith through the appropriate foundation and, and competence and understanding to start instead of just selling those deals to retain them in your portfolio. I can count numerous deals that a lot of people who I'm speaking this event have sold me and how much they've appreciated. Of course, hindsight's 2020, the market go up and down. But once you have your money working for you, it sets you pretty much free. Again, the wholesale deals, the flips, the agents, all that stuff, you're only as good as your last deal. So I want you to take the mindset of how can you make the money that you've worked hard for start working for you in a passive capacity. If anyone needs help with that as well, reach out. There's so many different opportunities, people like yourself and everyone else understands that because no one wants to sit there and grind every single day worrying about how you're gonna pay your bills. So if you have the strategic assets, that you're the champion and you're the captain of your domain and you can control that, that's the number one thing that I really want to stress for people to take. A lot of people that are in my boat that want to buy and hold and fix and flip, they say, Zach, why are you doing that? You're cannibalizing deals because again, there's an abundance of opportunity. I encourage people, I tell every wholesaler that I work with, take this one down for yourself. Why would you tell me to do that? Because I care about you. I want to set you up for you know future success. So I just retain that thought and think about what investments are you in and how are those investments? Are you being controlled by those? Are you controlling them? And what does that look like for dividends, ancillary income, that passive income? Very, very important uh, mentality. I love it. I like that I'm like trying to end the show and you're like trying to give people more value. It's just because you never yeah. know who you're gonna impact. Someone hears this and says, wow, this really just yeah. you know, hit home. And that's my message. I want to touch and impact as many people as possible. That's your legacy. Again, no one cares about what I did individually. It's meaningless to them. No, I mean, you're, you're spot on. You're an amazing person because of that right there, that piece of advice, I hope a lot of people listened. I hope a lot of people heard that because I have met a lot of wholesalers who are doing great numbers, but they don't have any buy and hold. Our friend Sabina over there, she loves buy and hold. She lives by right. She's always whispering into your ear, right, Buy and hold. Correct. Keep the property. Say it out loud. Let's hear it. <laughs> Buy more rentals all the time. There you go. All the love time. It. So yeah. I love that. So Zach, where can people connect with you? How should yeah. someone reach out to you? You know, especially if you're in the Arizona market and you have not connected with Zach, you are living under a rock. Like, where should people find you? Find me on the Instagram, uh, Zach Ventures, Z A K Ventures. Uh, Facebook, my personal name, uh, DM me on there. I respond to everybody. Uh, if I don't respond to you right away, send me another message. Maybe went to the junk box. <laughs> huge. I respond to anyone. Uh, you have a good question. You, have, you know, you need help with anything. Please reach out. Happy to assist. And guys, I'm gonna have the link to all of his social media accounts in the description. You'll be able to find him super easy. 
definitely reach out and connect. He's a genuine guy. And we got a bonus. What's special about this is we have a live audience. And I want to bring them into this. Bring I want them to in. Bring figure out in. if you guys have any questions for our amazing guests. How are you doing? Introduce yourself. You guys- oh, uh, Corey Westwood. Um, uh, from Seattle area. I came out here 11 years ago and uh, uh, doing, doing uh, real estate stuff now. I met Zach um, about, about a year and a half ago. I think a year, year, year and a half ago. And a great guy, phenomenal person. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm here. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Dustin Kircher from San Diego, California. Been in the business for 17 years. I don't know how many asked questions Zach or Marlon. I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Sabina, I'm from Maryland, buying an old investor that fix and flip and wholesale. Excited to be here and learn more from Zach. And she's absolutely amazing. I love her. So all these guys are amazing. I'm learning from these guys that Corey's new to the business and he's crushing. How many deals are you flipping right now? Twelve? Um, just yeah, sixteen. Six excuse wow. me. Sixteen for the main man. So no questions tomorrow. Yeah, awesome question. What do we not cover? Go ahead. Anything. Be minor more market specific and what your thoughts are. Are you very analytical? Which I love that and knowing your numbers and market itself. Based on the current conditions with inflation and affordability that's being very low, what's your thought process of what's happening in the next year or two years? Because you you know you're talking about the cheese, right? And I've read that book too. So I'm actually very interested. Where do you think the next cheese is? I mean, no one knows 100%, um, but you know, if we can be agile and think about the downside risk, if the market continues to go up from a buy and hold perspective, it's amazing, right? Everyone thought during COVID, hey, the market's going to plummet, but it went the opposite direction. Amazing. You create massive wealth through appreciation. Conversely, if you're buying smart with equities, if you're buying significantly below market and you're thinking about if you position that asset, you thought it was going to be a fix and flip, but you have to hold it because the market conditions change, what's that yield look like? Your yield is fixed based on your purchase price and your overall improvement cost. So if I'm still getting a 7, 8, or 9% yield, I'm happy regardless of volatility over time, whether it goes down 10, 15, or 20%, yet I'm still flipping my cash flow. That's what I care about. If I'm over levered and my capital borrow doesn't match with the long-term hold, I'm setting myself up for failure. But if I'm actually borrowing and I have you know, lines of credit at 4%, yet I'm yielding 7 regardless of where the market goes, I'm setting myself up for success. And, yeah, and that's a very good point. Um, the one thing that I'm kind of uncertain about is like we've never seen a time in history where rents actually drop, right? Mm-hmm. And I've been kind of thinking about this. Uh, usually, when the market is taking a dip, you actually see rents kind of increasing. Uh, but with the affordability index being the way it is, and if there's a, a hyperinflation that's coming, we're already at a five percent thing right now. Mm-hmm. If that goes above and beyond, how are people going to afford their rent? Um, and it's a great question. They're going to have to potentially, you see a lot of people now um, house hacking. You see a lot of families moving in together. I see it time and time again. I see rooms and people building guest houses or, you know, uh, brothers and sisters, whoever combined income for affordability. I mean, we're somewhat insulated in the Arizona market because we have so many people moving here. So if one person can't afford to live in the city, what's going to happen? They're going to move out to a further location that is more affordable, manufactured home or other you know, a peripheral area, um, but there's just not enough housing to support that. But the beautiful thing for those people is they can probably now, as we've learned, is work remotely, right? That's a big trend that's transpired. So it doesn't matter whether you're not now living in Phoenix and you can work in Maricopa, you can live in Maricopa because now the job's are like, hey, you could do, you know, telemarket or work from home 
and save some money. So people are getting diligent in terms of adapting and pivoting themselves as a tenant and also us as landlords. They're realizing, hey, we can lower our overhead by making this migration, still get our cheese, and still you know, make the same yield. And us as landlords, we find the appropriate people that need to live in the city, that can afford it. They're coming from California in our market and say, hey, this is still relatively cheap. The main thing is not getting over leverage. So all these people, for whatever reason, we play the scenario out, if rents get, uh, there's a downward pressure on rents for whatever reason, which I don't anticipate, but it's a good point. Um, that's why you should factor it in. What is your cash flow looking like? Can you afford to carry these if all of a sudden there's compression on the rental side? My answer is yes, I'm at a very low leverage rate. But if someone's borrowing money at 10% and they're at 95% of all the assets, and there may be a capital call from the hard money lender, the OPM person, you have a one year call period, you're setting yourself up for some serious risk there. So you have to factor in your time horizon on the capital borrow, what your leverage situation look like, and anticipate those worst case scenarios. I love the question because in our market, People are so irrationally exuberant. It's like, hey, everything's gonna keep going up. This is great. My philosophy is what if this goes down 10%? What does this look like? If rents drop 15 or 20%, what's my yield then? As long as it still covers my basis minimal, I'm still good. I always said during COVID, if 50% of my tenants don't pay, what happens? I'm still gonna be okay. That's a good position to be in. So wonderful insight. And like you spoke earlier, it's it's your buy, right? If you buy it right and you're doing your numbers right, you should be good. And the other thing you mentioned too, which I didn't think about, and I'm glad you brought it up, is in like 2008, 2009, same thing, families moved in together. So you had double families in the house. Mm -hmm. So you did see some shift, but then that was able to cover most uh, landlords and making sure that we weren't losing tenants. I mean, here's one thing that I've learned through this pandemic, which is a great question. I'm so concerned, everyone called me all the time. Are you nervous? Are you nervous? I said, you know, having weathered some storms and putting myself in this position, being under leverage, there's small concern, but I'm not nervous because I know I'm positioned well. I realize the resilience of the American people and, and everyone out there. I've seen that, you know, I'm in 98% collections with my tenants through a pandemic, through a horrible time when people are sick and they've lost jobs. So we are resilient people as a nation. So I've instilled a lot more confidence through some major hardships that may or may not be coming our way. So I feel even more exuberant and more confident in our in the ability for people to pay and weather these difficult storms and hardships that you know, come again. So that's that was solid information. At first, you're like, everybody stops paying. Oh my God, you know, literally tossing and turning. You play it in your head, but then you see the positive impact and again, the resilience of people. And that's, um, you know, insane. All right, I appreciate it. Thanks for letting me pick your brain. Yeah. Yeah, that was great, a great, great question. question. Yeah, amazing. And now I see especially why your investors love you because you are making these plans based on, hey, I'm planning for the worst case scenario. So if it works out better, everyone's happy. But even if the worst happens, you're all still happy. I'm bringing umbrellas to the beach when the weather <laughs> forecast is looking sunny all day and there's no chance of rain. I'm anticipating rain. You know? I'm bringing the extra water, I'm bringing the extra gas, I'm bringing extra food on the camping. So if you plan for those contingencies, you're planning for success. Absolutely. Well, Zach, man, seriously, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you to our beautiful live My studio audience. Great people. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to KJ for filming this today. And this is just amazing. We spoke about this on the phone. Again, you were special when I met you. You're still, a, you're an amazing person. I can't wait to see what you bring to the world and how many lives you personally impact. You're a coach by nature and an educator. And so now coming into the real estate space, I mean, I just see this rapid uh, rocket ship coming from you. I feel your warmth, your energy, your heart. And I'm just blessed to call you a friend. And, and I look forward to the journey with you to continue. Man, I appreciate that. Appreciate you. It's great. 
Okay, guys, so I really hope you enjoyed that interview. Once again, I ask that if you receive any value at all, I mean anything, if one thing stood out to you, leave a comment below. Let people know what that thing was. Let us know what it was. We do read all of the comments and absolutely share this with a friend. That is how we help each other, okay? The best thing you can do is pass on knowledge and information that's helping you grow. Send that out to your friends. Help them grow. Build your network and build your power team. Let's all get this together. So I want you guys to click that share button, click that like button, subscribe. Make sure you're here for the next episode. And remember that the greatness is already inside of you.